I'm Julia Gillard and this is a podcast of one's own. To celebrate International Women's Day, we're bringing you a special episode of the podcast. This will be the first of our Spotlight series, where we take a deep dive into the latest research, news and ideas on gender equality and hear from incredible researchers at the Global Institute for Women's Leadership and beyond. We're delighted to be joined today by Kelly Beaver, the recently appointed Chief Executive of Ipsos UK, and I'm delighted to say the first woman to hold that role. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thank you, Julia. The Global Institute for Women's Leadership has partnered with the fantastic team at Ipsos UK on a new global survey of more than 20,000 people to mark International Women's Day. Kelly, can you give us an overview of this research and why it's so important to have these kinds of insights? So the research itself took place across 30 countries across the world. It explores a range of topics. So yes, public perceptions on whether or not there is gender equality across the globe. But also we looked at really specific issues like what people think are the big problems facing women and girls in their societies today. And then a deep dive on areas like institutional bias, online harms, and also what happens to how caring responsibilities impact on individuals and their careers? And is there a gender difference perceived across society? And I think the reason why we do research on perceptions is because they really matter. Perceptions ultimately drive attitudes and drive behaviours. And it is behaviours specifically around equality of the genders that we're trying to shift. Now, Kelly, I know that there's a bit of grim news in this research, but I want to start out positive. What are the good stories that come from this research? So there are a couple of positive things. The first one, of course, is around whether people think gender inequality actually exists, because if they don't think that there's a problem, then there won't be significant effort and action to actually solve it. And the good news from the study is the majority of people do think that gender inequality exists. There is a problem. And also, secondly, we can see that the vast majority of people believe that harmful and abusive online behaviour is unacceptable. So that's positive. It means that actually in that area, which you will see from the data later, is causing significant issues for those who are experiencing it. It does mean that we are dealing with a small minority of people who do, who do think that that kind of behaviour is actually acceptable. So that's the good news, but I think we have to be pretty frank. There are some concerning results where notable minorities are not only failing to accept the reality of inequality between women and men, but are even seeing efforts to address it as causing harm. Can you walk us through those findings? And given I'm an Aussie, can you tell us if there's anything particularly striking about attitudes in Australia And given we're recording this in the UK, anything particularly striking about attitudes in the UK compared to the international picture? What we see from the study is that across the 30 countries we surveyed, around half say that gender equality has gone far enough in their country. In Britain and Australia, around one in three say that gender equality has gone far enough already. And I think one of the things that really hit home for me was when I was looking at the answer to the question around whether people feel feminism does more harm than good. And across the countries where we were allowed to ask that question, and bear in mind, Julia, we're not allowed to ask it in every single country. There are some where that's perceived to be even an offensive question still. But a third of men across the 29 countries where we could ask it say that feminism does more harm than good. 
compared to only 20% of women. Those are some of the, the striking findings that come through. One of the other pieces is around, yes, I said earlier that most people perceive there to be gender inequality, but there is still this significant but quite immovable minority that we've seen in the last few years that we've done this research asking the same question who believe that it isn't a problem. And it's around one in five men across those 29 countries who say that they think it doesn't really exist. And when you ask for data on Australia specifically, it's higher in Australia amongst men. So as high as three in 10 of the men in Australia who responded tell us that they don't believe that there's a problem here. Gender inequality does not exist. We see lots of media discussion about the impact of online abuse on women particularly on younger women. Now, your survey found that the majority of people agree that women shouldn't have to put up with online abuse, but there are some troubling views around what online behaviour is acceptable. Can you explain those findings to us? Yes, and I think when we were considering how to ask this kind of question, we we made a list of all the possible types of interactions that people could be seeing online. And it ranged from everything like people sending messages repeatedly when the respondent hadn't actually responded yet, to using abusive language, sending unrequested compliments or critique on people's physical appearance, right through to sending intimate images to people that you don't know particularly well. So we have a very wide range of interactions online that we've covered. And I think actually across the piece, the majority did say that they think that these kind of abusive or harassing behaviours are unacceptable. But as you point out, Julia, there were a few areas or interactions where we see that there's more acceptability than we, we might have first expected. So Four in 10 people think it's acceptable to send someone messages when they haven't responded previously. One in four say it's acceptable to send someone unrequested comments or compliments on their physical appearance. And then we get into some of the, I would say, more extreme abusive online behaviour, where there's this small, but it's important, this minority group, but small, where there are one in 10 who think it's acceptable to use generally abusive language online, a similar proportion who say it's acceptable to use sexist, homophobic, transphobic or racist language online. And then quite worryingly is the 7% who say sending someone unrequested sexually explicit images is acceptable and 6% saying that sharing intimate images of someone online without their consent is acceptable. And when you ask these questions in Australia... One in five men say that those things are acceptable to do. So I think we see differences across the countries, and that is quite concerning in some for some countries' cases. But generally, we do see this small but really important and significant proportion of people who still believe some of these behaviours are acceptable online. Mm, that's all pretty concerning news, particularly for an Australian. What was the impact of those who experienced online abuse? So important to look at this particular question by the gender of the individual who was experiencing that abuse. And we can see that both men and women have been affected by different types of abuse and in different types of ways. But it is impacting on what women are then doing online. So women are more likely to be curtailing their own commentary online. 
and also the impact on their self-esteem. And we get also reports of experiencing panicking attacks, stress or anxiety coming through in the data for women in particular. And we did look at some of the connections, Julia, actually between whether people had been exposed to inappropriate content and then the impact on women. One of the interesting pieces for me was where we, we find that one in four women who'd viewed comments or images online which suggested that men are superior to women or which suggested that women cause many of the problems facing men. They say they've experienced lower self-esteem or a loss of self-confidence because of the online abuse and the online content that they've been seeing. So I think there's some important lessons about the fact that this, this kind of exposure does have an impact on individuals. Yes, that does come out of it very strongly. And it's interesting, the the parallels with women's physical safety, where women often curtail behaviours going out at night to try and stay safe. Uh, but then really, the street should be safe for women. We put that argument in the physical world and the same argument applies online. The research also examined attitude towards violence and sexual or physical abuse towards women. Now, in my own country, Australia, this has been a huge issue for us in recent years. Can you tell me how Australia comes out in your research? Yeah, so these results are a wee bit sad, if I'm honest. They made me very sad reading them and reflecting on on what they really mean, certainly for the the country you come from, Julia. So some of the stats, Australia comes out fifth of the 28 countries for people who agree that it's a woman's obligation to have sex with her boyfriend or husband, even if she doesn't feel like it. And there's a real difference between what men in Australia versus women in Australia think on that statement one in five Australian men say that they agree with that comparatively to just 6% of women. That's just one of the stats that really stuck out to me. But more broadly across all of the countries, when we ask what the top issue is facing women and girls, it is gender-based violence. That is the top answer. In Australia, some of the perceptions around what's okay and what causes gender-based violence stuck out from this data. So there's some other things I, I think it's worth reflecting on today. One is around whether people perceive that violence against a woman is often provoked by the victim. In Australia, we see that men are more likely than women to agree that that statement is correct, with one in five Australian men agreeing that that is a correct statement. And then also in Australia, 28% of Australian men, so almost three in 10, say that they agree with this statement. Women who say they've been abused often make up or exaggerate claims of abuse or rape. That is high across the countries. Comparatively to women as well in Australia, that is high. So there's some really concerning numbers here for Australia in particular that I, I think it's worth reflecting on. Kelly, can you look at the research and give me a sense as to how Australia compares with other countries? On What sort of class of countries are we in? Yes, and I think this is, this is a good question. So on the point around whether people agree that it's a woman's obligation to have sex with her boyfriend or husband, even if she doesn't feel like it, more people in Australia agree with that sentiment than people in Russia, South Korea, for example. And on the other statement, which I I find quite telling, was a statement on women who say they were abused often make up or exaggerate claims of abuse or rape. 
Australia comes out worse than a number of South American countries that are on the list where historically we've always seen data incredibly high for issues around sexual harassment and violence against women. And it's uh, on a similar power to South Korea in terms of the proportion of people who agree with that. So I think there are some challenging messages there for Australia. There certainly are some things to really deeply reflect on. Thank you, Kelly. Now I'm going to ask you about the most important issues for women. Unsurprisingly, what came out were sexual harassment, sexual violence and domestic abuse in the survey. But the gender pay gap came in just behind these issues in fourth place. We know that the unequal division of care is a major contributor to the gender pay gap. So were there any interesting findings on the division of care, who's doing the domestic caring labour and how that impacts on women's careers? Yes, I think there's a lot of research out there that shows us that who does the caring, who cares really matters. And when we look at the data coming back from this 30 country study, you can see that there's actually less of a division between men and women when it comes to what people say about regularly spending unpaid time providing care for others, whether that's children or an elderly parent or someone of working age who needs additional assistance. But what we do find is that more women are telling us that childcare responsibilities coming up during the working day is likely to affect them. And when you look at the data coming back from men and women, there is an understanding across the piece that it is affecting women's ability to work more than their male counterparts, that sort of interruption of a working day. So this is the kind of circumstances where a child falls sick at school or something unexpected has happened who drops everything, including work, to go and sort that out. That's right. So we see this from the study that we've done with the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, but also a wider range of work that we've undertaken in this area where the flexibility of the employer matters hugely to whether or not having caring responsibilities is impacting negatively on women's careers. So everything from you know being able to work from home regularly, but being able to juggle having those caring responsibilities coming up, because um, ultimately they will come up during the working day. Women are more likely than men to see the kind of things they have to do or they feel they have to do with prioritising their family over work as having potentially damaging impacts on their own career opportunities and progression in the workplace. Thank you so much for what has been an incredibly fascinating series of insights and thank you to the team at Ipsos UK for all this great work. It's a pleasure to be able to collaborate with you and to bring this kind of important analysis out. To finish, I just wanted to ask, when you look at all of this material from the survey and indeed all of the material you must come across regularly given how much research you see, and when you look to the future, what, in your view, needs to happen for women to achieve equality? Yeah, so we have conducted quite a bit of research on these topics over the last five to ten years, actually. And what's really saddening when I look at it again this year is that some of the metrics haven't really moved. Some of the metrics that you might hope would move, like those significant minorities starting to peter away, but they're quite stable. I think the things for me that come through are the role that both men and employers have in supporting the gender equality mandate across the world and the role that men play in that needs to be appreciated by women as well because I don't believe we can level up women 
in a workplace without leveling up men in a home environment. And it takes both the employers and men and women collectively to work towards that. One of the things that stood out specifically from this work is that in some countries, whilst we're worried about gender pay gap and I'm talking about flexible working, etc., in some countries, the issues are much more fundamental. They are feeling safe in your physical environment. And as we've seen, increasingly feeling safe in the uh, non-physical, the online environment. And so that level of difference across each of the countries is something that only research like this really gives you an insight into how far we need to travel still. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you for all this work. Thank you for being the first ever guest on our Spotlight series, a new innovation on a podcast of one's own. And happy International Women's Day. Uh, We should hopefully feel galvanised by this research for all of the things that we've got to do to change the world uh, so that we live in a globe of gender equality. Thanks, Kelly. Podcast of One's Own is a production of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London. The Institute works towards a world in which women of all backgrounds have fair and equal access to leadership. If you liked what you've been listening to, please tell your friends. We'd love it if you could also rate and review us with your preferred podcast provider to ensure more people can find out about us. If you have feedback or ideas of who you'd like to hear on the show, please email us at giwl at kcl.ac.uk. This podcast has been produced by Connie Blafari and edited by Nick Hilton. To stay up to date with the work of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, visit our website at giwl.kcl.ac.uk and sign up to our updates. Thanks for listening and join us next time.